guys. Welcome back to the second episode of the Raider Report podcast. My name is Nick Benvenuto. I'm the news editor at The Guardian. I'm joined by my colleagues, Jenny, social media manager. Hi, everyone. Claire, social media assistant. Hi, guys. And Katie from last week is our news writer. Hey, guys. And we have a special guest today with us, uh, Debbie Flynn. Hello there. And Debbie is a social worker and has been for quite some time now. Um, the feature of this podcast is going to be highlighting National Suicide Prevention Month, which is taking place this month in September. Um, I know it's a kind of heavy topic, um, but it's something that I believe is um, somewhat stig- stigmatized um, you know, in everyday life. And I feel like it's important for us to talk about it because depression, anxiety, suicide are all things that actually do take place in our society um, and we need to be able to recognize, um, you know, those amongst us who might need that help and who might need um, a helping hand, somebody to talk to. And even, even here on campus, we have um, tons of resources for students um, to reach out, go see counselors, um, and get that help that they need. Um, so to go ahead and get started, um, I want to talk a little bit about personal experiences that I've had um, dealing with depression, anxiety, um, suicidal thoughts. Um, everything amongst that nature. So um, I, I believe that coming to Wright State was probably one of the best um, decisions that I ever made for myself mentally, um, you know, dealing with my own mental health issues. I've had anxiety, depression. I've been on and off of medications throughout my entire adult life. Um, and the best thing that has helped me is coping mechanisms, um, which I will get into here in a little bit, um, as well as just remaining goal-oriented. Um, I believe that one of the biggest things that you can do for yourself um, and your own mental health is keeping goals, keeping your eyes on the, your eye on the prize um, and staying focused on what matters to you, what you're passionate about, what you love to do, and always remembering that there is people around you um, that love you, that care for you, and that want to be there to support you, um, you know, in any hardships that you might be going through. Um, so talk a little bit about this. When I was in my younger years, I had a lot of anxiety and depression that I would deal with. I would, I would almost, I would almost feel as though I was stopping myself before I would do things and completing certain tasks because in the back of my mind I had thoughts that you know I was going to fail, that I wasn't going to be good enough um, to complete the task at hand. And I almost, I realized that I was stopping myself from putting myself out there and and trying to accomplish these things because I had already defeated myself. Um, so have you guys ever experienced, you know, thoughts like that where, um, you know, you want to go do something, but you have this voice in the back of your mind that's like, oh, it's probably not going to work out. You're probably going to fail um, because that's something that I struggle with even to this day. Um, you know, that is something that I feel like is anxiety in the back of my mind that I don't want to fail and I do want to succeed at things. And sometimes wanting to succeed so much will keep me from actually putting myself out there and even attempting the task at all. Have you guys ever dealt with anything like that? Every day. Yeah, I, this is definitely something that I struggle with a lot. Um, I've struggled with my mental health for the last, I would say about six years now. Um, I've also been diagnosed with anxiety, depression, um, ADHD, and cyclothemic disorder, which for those of you who have not heard of it, it's essentially a step down from bipolar two. And one of the biggest things that I struggle with is pushing myself way too hard because I feel like I have to be the best at everything 
I feel like if I'm not giving my 110% every second of every day that it's not good enough. And that's just not a healthy mindset to have. You, you can't force yourself to do way too much. You have to learn to balance it and find good coping mechanisms, which as Nick said, um, we'll talk about a little later in the episode. But in order to be your best self, you have to learn to take care of yourself and manage the world around you. And that is something that can be extremely difficult, but also be one of the most rewarding feelings in the world, where at the end of the day, you're like, wow, I did the best that I could today. And I have nothing I feel like I have to be worrying about or stressing about right now. I don't know if that's a feeling that anyone else on here has uh, experienced, but in my opinion, it can be very rewarding to shave off that, I guess, like almost like extra layer of stress that you've been carrying. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys sharing all like the different mental illnesses and struggles that you guys deal with on, like, like Claire said, an everyday basis. Um, it, it's probably really um, good to hear all of you guys talk about this and know that you guys aren't alone in this and the everyday struggles. Um, and being college students like we all are here, um, it makes me curious just to think how many other like students are on our Wright State campus, but even on other college campuses around us that are going through these things and like they may not have someone to talk to about these things and they haven't ever reached out and they kind of like don't know what to do. And that's, I think, the beauty of something so public like this, Jenny, like you said, is we cannot only do this podcast, we can say we're doing it for the Guardian, we're promoting, blah, 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 but in reality, we want to use our platforms to help people. And I think that's what a lot of successful people do is they take the approach of I'm doing this to help other people. And so I think I think that uh, if I can do anything during my time with The Guardian to make a practical difference in somebody's life, then I think it's well worth it. Very well said, everybody. I was listening to all of you. Um talk a little bit and tell a little bit about your stories. And the interesting thing is each one of you brought up something really important in the subject of suicide and suicide prevention. Nicholas, one of the things that you mentioned specifically was keeping a future orientation. As a social worker, that's one of the things that we look at when we are talking about someone that may try to harm themselves. We look for, does this person have some future orientation? Are they looking forward or, you know, do they not seem to have any goals or anything going on in their life right now? That's that's actually one of the biggest signs that something like this might occur or that somebody may try to harm themselves is not having that. So, yeah, very well said. Yeah, I think it's one of the most important things that you can do for yourself, um, like you said, is remaining goal-oriented. I feel like oftentimes, and even as, as a college student, um, it's really easy to fall into um, the daily routine of just constantly waking up, getting your classwork done, doing your homework, you know, going to sleep, and then waking up. And um, I feel like it's easy to forget that there is an end game here. And that there is, you know, things outside of this university, outside of our everyday life that are waiting for us in our future. Um, and it's really easy to get caught up into the 
into the monotony of life, I guess is a good way to, to put it, into the monotonous routine of just doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I feel like a lot of times people, especially um, you know, our age, can, can fall into a depression and just be like, man, I don't see the end of this. Um, especially now that we're going through all of this coronavirus and this global pandemic, it's easy to get stuck inside and not even go outside and, and see the sun. Um, and I feel like that has a lot to do with the, um, you know, the increase in mental health cases and hospitalizations that are going on right now in America of people that are our age. Correct. And that's one of the things that we had spoken about earlier, Nick, was the increase due to the coronavirus. And Jenny, I'm going to backpedal just a little bit. I think it was you that brought up self-care. One of the things that is most important for students is that taking care of yourself. So many times we get caught up in our schoolwork and attending classes and, you know, working to make some money on the side or to help mom and dad, you know, paying your school bills that we kind of forget to stop, take a break, step back and really take care of ourselves. So yes, you know, having interests, whether it's church or music or yoga, like Nick mentioned earlier, or, um, you know, even if it's just going and getting your nails or your hair done, doing something for you that speaks to you, helps you feel better about who you are, and um, just to relax. You know, we don't relax anymore. And, you know, when I'm looking back on my own college days, that was, you know, something that I probably wasn't really taught as a young person was how to really take care of myself outside of brushing my hair, brushing my teeth. You know, it's a lot more than that. Mental health is so important. And we're lucky that today there's much more of a platform. I think there's still a lot, a long way to go, but there's much more acceptance. And just the fact that you all can come on to a podcast and admit that you, you know, have struggled in the past is such progress. You know, it wasn't always that way. So I'm grateful and I'm grateful that you guys are, are speaking out about this. It's so important. Um, one of the other things I wanted to mention is that not only as a social worker has this subject touched me, but it personally hit home 15 years ago when my own sister took her life. So it, you know, you think it won't happen to you, but it it can happen to anybody. And the interesting thing about my sister was, you know, she seemingly was a well put together person. She had a job. She had a boyfriend. She was just signed up, um, had just signed up for classes. Um, life was going fairly well. It wasn't stress free. It wasn't perfect. But, you know, from the outside, I had no idea. And I do this for a living. Um, and if you'd like to know a little bit more about, you know, what that was like to personally experience something that close to home, I, I'd be happy to share. Um, Debbie, one of the things that you said was that, like, looking in um, on the situation from the outside, everything seemed to be perfect. Um, and I feel like that's something that happens a lot of times with um, people that are struggling with mental illness and depression and anxiety and everything that goes along with it. I feel like there's there's a pressure almost on that person to keep cool and to remain cool and calm and not let anybody know. Um, and for me personally, that was one of the things that I dealt with um, when I was going through one of the darkest times in my life. And I ended up hospitalized um, a number of years back was I felt an immense pressure um, just from being a man. 
and that I was mm-hmm. supposed to be strong and I was supposed to be, you know, X, Y, and Z um, because I was a man and I didn't feel like the thoughts that were going on in my own head and the negativity that I was presenting myself was something that was valid. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of men throughout not only Wright State, but throughout the world that probably deal with that exact same thing um, and feeling like, you know, as a man, we are put on this earth to be the strong ones and to be the breadwinners and to to support the family, you know, whatever that may be. Um, and we we tend to forget about our own mental health and that we do have feelings and that we do have emotions and that it is OK to express the express those emotions to to somebody that, you know, would be there for us. Is this is that something that you've experienced in your professional and professional life as well, Debbie? Actually, it is. And um, very well spoken, Nick. Yes, it, it really is. Um, the pressure that society puts on a young man, you know, or, you know, even somebody that's a little bit older to be the rock, you know, of the family or, you know, the person that holds everything together is tremendous. And in um, my job, that is something that I see oftentimes being spoken of is just, you know, feeling under so much pressure at work, you know, at home, um, that there just isn't any time outside of those things, you know, to really take care of yourself or, you know, to socialize or to even, you know, reach out and talk to somebody. And so it's, it is important that you identify somebody, whether it's a good friend, um, a family member, you know, a therapist, you know, crisis line, which I have numbers to give you all um, before we end today. But, you know, somebody that you can reach out and talk to in those tough times that you can trust is extremely important. You can't hold it all in. It's got to go somewhere. As it being September and the National Suicide Awareness Month, um, I've been seeing a lot of posts online, like on social media, um, just reminders to check in with your friends and your peers on how they're doing. But I think it's important to check in every month because mental health and suicidal thoughts are things that people deal with 24-7, not just in the month of September. So do you have any like tips or resources or ideas on how we can check in with our friends and peers and if there's like signs of mental illnesses that we can like maybe see and spot and maybe say something to one of our friends about? Sure. Um, and you know what? I, but I, I want to caution you against, you know, automatically associating suicide with mental illness. Many times that is the case. You know, there is some underlying mental illness there. Other times it can be very impulsive and it might not be somebody that, you know, truly has some sort of a, a known diagnosis. So, you know, everyone is at risk in our lowest moments, in our toughest times. Um, you know, I would venture to say that probably at one point or another, somebody has had some thoughts of, you know, would I ever do this or could I ever do this? Um, that's what we call suicidal ideation. It's just that it's an idea. You're kind of throwing those ideas around. Um not that it should not be taken seriously because that ideation can turn into a plan real quick. It just depends on how much stress that person is under. Um, as a professional, when we are looking and you know trying to um, assess whether somebody is truly at risk for trying to harm themselves, one of the things that we look at is, is there something beyond ideation? So for example, Jenny, if you were talking to one of your friends and you knew that they were feeling down, um, it might be important if you were sensing something more was going on to ask them, you know, has this thought ever occurred to you? And if it has, you would want to ask them, 
what do you think you might do? Or have you thought about what you might do? If that person says, yes, they have thought, then we need to really take that seriously because that now we're talking about someone that has not only thought about suicide, but they've actually formulated a plan. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to do it, but it's one step further in that um, continuum of assessment that we look at in the field is, okay, they have this ideation, now they have a plan. The next thing we wanna do is, do they have intent? Do, are they gonna follow through with that plan? And, you know, as a friend, that is something else that you can safely ask. Well, okay, um, you know, you have you know, these thoughts and you thought that you might overdose. Have you actually gathered something to overdose with? If that answer is yes, you need to call 911. And you know, that person might be resistant. You know, they don't want to be looked at different. They don't want to be seen as quote, crazy or, you know, needy or, you know, somebody that's in this position. But, you know, to actually take it all the way to the point of formulating a plan and now you have, you know, this um, a means um, is scary and should be taken very, very seriously. Um, I'm going to back up and mention something else about my sister who actually, um, you know, did end her life. One of the things that she did was she she had a friend that she was talking to the night that she overdosed. Um, sadly, this friend was a nurse. And, you know, we need to be able to separate ourselves from, you know, when this is something that I, a friend can handle and when this is something that only a professional should be dealing with. Okay. And what happened to my sister was she had reached out to her friend who was a nurse. The nurse um, spoke with her for quite some time that evening and thought she had talked to her out of harming herself. Well, what she didn't know, because yes, she's a nurse, but she wasn't with my sister. It, she should have gone to my sister. <laughs> she should have you know, seen her, she should have spent more time with her. Um, she wasn't in a position to really fully assess what was going on there. And I think sometimes, you know, if you do have, you know, some credentials behind your name, you might think, well, you know, you're a little more powerful than you think you are. And what actually happened was the nurse disconnected from my sister and my sister took the overdose as soon as they hung up. And we know this because she survived the overdose and she didn't pass away for almost two months post overdose. So we were able to ask questions and get some of those answers, you know, what happened and, you know, you know, why did you not reach out? She was able to tell us that she in fact did, but, you know, once that call was disconnected, she actually followed through with the plan. So that's why I'm saying if, if you know somebody is struggling this bad that they're actually talking of, you know, harming themselves, that's when you need to, you know, go to them if it's on the phone or if you're texting, you know, or if you're too far away, then you call for help right away. But you can't ever leave somebody like that in peril, in harm's way, and certainly don't ever leave them alone. And if the right things had happened for my sister, she might still be here today. It's absolutely devastating to hear about that, Debbie. I'm sorry that you had to go through that and that your family had to deal with that. Um, you know, as somebody that's dealt with family suicide myself, I can, I can, I can sympathize with you. Um, you know, yeah. and it's just, it's absolutely terrible that you and your family had to go through that. Um, I do want to kind of back up a little bit and, and talk about some of the, some of the things that we like to do 
um, in order to clear our mind. You know, if we do find ourselves starting to go down this, you know, this dark road of depression, um, anxiety leading up to that as well, um, what are some of the things that you guys like to do um, that other raiders, you know, listening in might be able to do themselves, um, you know, to, to ease your mind when school's getting to you, when work's getting to you? What, what are some of the things that you guys like to do as students um, to, to ease your mind a little bit, to take a step back and say, hey, I am going to take some, some me time for myself today? What are some of the things that you guys like to do? I find it's really helpful for me to physically put my books away so that I'm not like, oh my gosh, I have to study because my books are right here. I put my homework away. I, I'm done with that. I physically remove it from my environment. And uh, I like to listen to music. I like to text my friends. So I would say just for me, getting out of that moment of stress and immediately putting myself in another place mentally and even physically is really important for me. Yeah, definitely, Claire. I can relate to that. Uh, the two big things that I tend to go to as my coping mechanisms are writing and uh, physically removing myself from the room. And what I mean by that, um, for those of you who listened to last week's podcast with President Edwards, I talked a lot about how important nature is to me and how getting out in the environment, going on hikes, going on walks, is something that really helps me deal with my stress. And it is one of my go-to things for when the weather is at least semi-decent outside and I'm just feeling like I can't handle the workload in front of me or if I'm having a really bad anxiety day or if I'm just feeling really low, really no matter what I'm feeling, if I take a, like a 20-minute walk outside, I can boost my mood at least a good 20%. And then my other go-to uh, mechanism is writing. And that's honestly why I started working with The Guardian. I took advantage of pretty much any opportunity I could throughout high school to grow as a writer, to learn about different forms of writing, different genres, different styles. And coming into college, I was like, am I still going to have these kinds of opportunities? Because this is how I cope. And then I started working with The Guardian and... I ended up falling in love with the work environment and the people here. And honestly, one of my favorite things to do right now when I need to take a step back from my schoolwork is to take a look at my guardian work and see, okay, what do I need to get done this week? What interviews do I need to conduct? How, what pitches do I still need for the Friday planning meetings? All of that kind of stuff. And just shifting my mind from one area of focus to another especially one that I'm so passionate about really helps me kind of take a few minutes to just regroup. I love sure. that. I agree with, mm -hmm. For sure. I agree with both of you, uh, Claire and Katie. Um, I definitely spend a lot of my time going outside in between classes or zoom meetings or whatever it may be. There's a lot of parks and even just like the biking paths on campus are just a great way to get out in nature um, and just getting out of like the hot apartment that you may be in and getting out in nature and like actually feeling the air like on your skin, I, I think makes a big difference. And I think a lot of people kind of overlook that sometimes. And I know it can physically be hard to get out of bed or just hard to like get away from your desk and your schoolwork because you feel like you have to get it done. But 
I feel like you'll be more productive after a 20 minute break, taking a walk or going outside or spending some time with friends and then coming back to your work and kind of having your thoughts recollected and being in a different state of mind will, will ease the rest of your, your work that you have to do. So being out in nature is definitely something that I like to do a lot, but um, I also like to like play board games or, um, or like relax and just like have some background noise and read while I'm watching some TV or cooking or baking or just doing something productive, like with my hands and using my mind at the same time will really help me and ease me as I go about my week. You know, I was thinking, Katie, about what you had said is uh, that writing helps you a lot. And I also love to write. I do that for pleasure and for a little therapy, uh, so to speak, but also you said that your role on The Guardian has really been a result of what you do to cope, and I think for me too, I love being able to not only write about it, but write about mental health and life, but also to create things with it and create graphics, or whenever I'm feeling, just turn it into something creative, and so I, I think that that's a good point about having a creative outlet because I do that too. Sounds great. All of you um, really gave up just about all of the suggestions that I would give. Journaling and writing, being outdoors and exercising, whether it's lifting weights, running, you know, walking or doing yoga. All of those things would be my top suggestions for anyone that might be experiencing some depression or you know, an overload of stress. The other thing you can't say enough about schedules, guys. One of the things that, um, you know, I, I did a lot of silly stuff in college, but one of the things that I did right was really set a schedule. And that way I didn't have to worry about it. Everything was scheduled, my work time, my class time and my study time. And then, of course, you know, you have to have some time for play and, um, you know, faith if you go to church and, you know things like that. But yes, get yourself a planner if you don't have one. And you can even color code, you know, all the different, um, all the different areas that you need to take care of yourself in. Green would be your work time. Blue might be your study time. Pink might be church time. You know, whatever works for you is fine. But get yourself a good plan that you can follow so those thoughts just aren't floating around in your head all day. And you're not always wondering what you have to do next. Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest things, Debbie, is getting your mind off of, you know, whatever is causing that stress, getting it down onto paper, um, and then that way being able to physically look at it, opposed to just throwing all of these ideas around in your head, making yourself more anxious than you might actually have to be. Um, that's one of the things that I believe, at least for me, um, can lead to some of my anxiety that I still deal with is that, you know, I tr try to put too much on my plate and keep it in my head all at one time. I, f I find that if I can get it down on paper and I can look at it and I can see, okay, you know, I've, I've taken care of this. I've taken care of this. Okay. This is what I have left to do. Um, that's one of the things that really helps me get through my day as well. Yes. And being able to see that sense of accomplishment at the end of the day, you know, if you have 10 things and eight of them have been checked off at the end of the day, that's a great day. Absolutely. No. Go ahead, Claire. Do you have something you want to add? Oh, um, yes, just one of the things that uh, I was going to ask you about, Debbie, is uh, when I go through my really dark periods of time where I'm mentally not well, um, one of the things that I notice is that people always do say, 
get exercise, go outside, distract yourself. And I find that I'm so deep into my dark thinking that I don't want to. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to distract myself. So for anybody that may uh, have similar feelings or have ever had similar feelings, what do you suggest? That is so true and so important to recognize that sometimes you just don't want to. And that's when you either have to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. And even if it's just going in a different area of your house, you know, where the scenery is a little different, getting yourself dressed for the day. I know all of you can relate to this. If you like I have been working from home, you know, because of COVID, there have been times where I have rolled out of bed. And I have kept my pajamas on all day. And by the time dinner time rolls around, I feel terrible. You know, I may not actually be, feel depressed, but I'm tired and I just don't want to do anything. On the mornings when I get up, I take a shower. I brush my teeth. I actually put my professional clothes on. Now, I'm not saying I sit there at my home desk in a dress, but, you know, I at least put on something that looks nice, that I feel good in. Um it makes all the difference in the world mentally just to be ready. So, you know, I think you have to know, you know, when you're in one of those really dark times and it's really hard for you to get out of bed, trying to find even small things that you can consider a win and taking small steps, Claire, you know, not necessarily going from the bed to out running a marathon because, you know, some people might be able to do that, but you may not be able to. So if for you, it's just going outside to get the mail and you haven't done that in a week, that's progress. You know, look at it in small baby steps. If you get up and you take a shower on that day and you watch a couple of television programs, whereas the day before you didn't do that, go ahead and pat yourself on the back. That's progress. Celebrate it. And, you know, every day do something a little more and then a little more until, you know, gradually you start to feel better and you start to, you know, be able to do some of those things like get outdoors and exercise. Okay. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. I want to go ahead and thank our guest this week, Mrs. Debbie Flynn, for joining us and providing us with both professional and personal insight on mental health and suicide awareness. I'd also like to thank Katie, Claire, and Jenny for joining this week and opening up for us as well. I can't stress enough how important and helpful communication is in talking about these topics and talking to people that may be struggling with mental health, mental health issues or suicidal tendencies. For anyone listening who wants to reach out and talk to a professional about their own situation, I strongly encourage you to call Raider Cares, which is available 24-7. Their number is 833-848-1765. That's 833-848-1765. Thank you so much for being here and listening in to the second installment of the Raider Report for the fall semester. We'll be back next week with another episode for you guys to enjoy. My name is Nick Benvenuto. Thank you so much and have a great day, everyone.